Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. You know Janice Meeting is the beleaguered but sharp-witted museum manager on Rutherford Falls. You also know her as the cynical, eye-rolling IHS receptionist on Reservation Dogs. She's also instrumental in coming up with the words those two characters utter on screen. In every case, she offers lovable, funny characters with both subtle and in-your-face Native humor. We'll have a conversation with Janice Meeting about how she got here and where she's headed. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Environmental and tribal groups are urging federal officials to deny preliminary permits for three hydro storage energy proposals on the Navajo Nation. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, they say the projects threaten local water resources and communities. The projects proposed for Black Mesa near the town of Kayenta on the Navajo Nation would include several dams and eight reservoirs. A French company called Nature and People First wants to use hundreds of thousands of acre feet from the Colorado and San Juan rivers and two local aquifers, but it's unclear whether they have the rights. Tribal groups opposing the projects say decades of coal mining have depleted groundwater that supplies local communities. Nicole Horseherder is the executive director of the group Tonejona Ane. That's water that we can't give up. That's water that we can't spare. That's water that we cannot allow someone else to use again. We have to keep it. We have to protect it. We have got to fight for what we have left. The group say the projects could also displace residents and destroy land, prehistoric sites, and endangered animal habitat. In a December filing, the Navajo Nation Department of Justice also opposed the projects. Hydro storage has been touted as a green energy source to augment wind and solar, but other such projects proposed on tribal lands in northern Arizona have been met with stiff resistance from conservation groups and indigenous peoples. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. The University of San Diego in California is enhancing community spaces for Native students. Among plans for this year, advancing research led by Indigenous scholars and hosting Indigenous youth to see what the university has to offer. The Intertribal Resource Center, which serves as a space for Native students to connect and find belonging, is expanding with a new location and more staff. In the spring, the campus will host the Dream the Impossible Youth Conference with more than 500 mid- and high school students. There are also new Native Studies programs and a Native Public Art program. University leaders say the enhancements help connect and support the Native community. The university, located in San Diego County, is home to 18 reservations, the most in any county in the United States. Wells Fargo has announced a $20 million commitment to advance economic opportunities in tribal communities by working with Native organizations. The initiative Invest Native addresses housing, small business, financial health, and sustainability. Tribal communities taking part in the program are located in Arizona, Montana, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. In the next two years, Invest Native seeks to advance housing, help small businesses access capital, strengthen infrastructure for Native organizations, and invest in training and research. The first Native-led organizations to receive $500,000 grants are Lakota Funds, Native Community Capital, and Four Bands Community Fund. 
Illuminative, a racial and social justice organization, is debuting the Indigenous House at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah. The Indigenous House will be a gathering place recognizing and celebrating Native creatives, artists, and industry leaders who are helping to advance Native representation in film and television. A mix of events are scheduled to take place at the Indigenous House, including panel discussions about the importance of Native visibility in the entertainment industry. A number of Indigenous storytellers are taking part in the film festival. Some of the Indigenous films premiering are Bad Press, about the fight for free press in Indian country, Fancy Dance, a family drama, and Murder at Bighorn, following the deaths of a group of Native women in Montana. The film festival begins on Thursday. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Make sure your holiday checklist includes avoiding the latest holiday scams. Scammers count on you being too busy and distracted to pay attention, so visit aarp.org slash holiday scams to get up-to-date tips on the latest scams. AARP supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Janice Meeting is a comedic writer success story. She brought the hilarious character Reagan to life on the Peacock Network's Rutherford Falls series. She also personified the IHS experience in Reservation Dogs. We got to see her character Bev's fun side in the Auntie's Cut Loose episode. Schmeeting is instrumental both in front of and behind the camera. She strengthened Native representation in popular media, and she's all made us all laugh along the way. We're going to hear about her journey this hour. You can join us, too, with questions and comments. Do you relate to Jana's TV characters and their amusing antics? Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Los Angeles, California, on Zoom is Jana Schmeeding, Minikanju and Sikanju Lakota. Jana, welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you on Native America Calling. Thanks for having me, Sean. Oh my gosh, your radio voice is <laughs> top notch. Oh, geez. Awesome. Well, oh geez. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Is it, I mean, is it really you, Jana? This isn't like an AI generated image here. Is it actually you that I'm talking to? Janish me? I hope not. I hope it's not an AI generated <laughs> okay. image. That went south fast. Um, no, it is, it is I. Um, little old me sitting in my office um awesome. very excited you, to be here you can never be too sure nowadays i'll tell you well i did your work janish meeting me and everyone else it's just uh really cool to have you on the show today i appreciate it thank you what's, so much thanks yeah yeah you bet well what's going on in la are, are you hanging out are you you following the the story of p22 the, oh, the yeah. mountain lion relative uh hit hit native america hard 
it really did you know p22 was a beloved mountain lion um sort of roaming the lands here uh, in the griffith park um hollywood area and um was recently sort of a victim of some i don't i guess you know some car accidents and just i feel like we, uh, we are encroaching on p20 we were encroaching on p22's habitat and um was uh humanely put down recently so it was a really big hit to la and uh the p22 <laughs> loving family here um we just we we hate to see it um but yeah it other than that I, you know i'm just enjoying slash terrified of the rain that's been hitting los angeles county and um really reflecting on our rainwater uh, collection and conservation efforts here in this right. concrete city. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, Jenna, you've been super busy uh, over the last few years. And, and looking back on your career, I'm curious to know with everything you've accomplished and are you where you want to be? Are you, are you surprised at all at, at where you're at? If you go back seven years ago when you moved to LA and, and you, you went out there and you left the teaching career and uh, any surprises? How do you feel? Um, I am completely surprised. I, I am overwhelmed with how my life has turned out. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it was a long time. It was a lot of, I won't say that, it, you know, overnight, I just got a job writing on Rutherford Falls and, um, you know, then became the star of Rutherford Falls. That's not <laughs> how it happened. Um, but that's sort of what it felt like in a, in a way, the timeline, once things started hitting, um, you know, the progression into this industry happened very fast. But yeah, I was, uh, I was a public school teacher for 10 years in the Bronx. Um, and I decided to, uh, I was also a, a perform a live comedian, um, and, and performer and writer, uh, in New York at the same time. And so I decided in 2016, well, I decided in 2015 that I was going to take one last year at teaching and that I was going to, you know, take that, uh, leap off the cliff into a creative lifestyle and it was terrifying and you know it didn't there was a, a couple of years when I first moved to Los Angeles where I was like really uh teaching myself how to write pilots and how to sort of pitch myself and um created a podcast to continue you know exercising my voice and my comedy and um and yeah, I that that podcast is actually how I met Sierra Teller Ornelas, the executive producer and showrunner um, and co-creator of Rutherford Falls. I interviewed her on my podcast and and sort of the rest is history. Um, she was really the catalyst uh, for my entrance into this industry that for a, the better part of my, you know, career uh, as a performer, I, I really didn't believe that I had a chance to, I would have a chance to, you know, be in front of this level of audience. You know, I, I just really always thought it was going to be sort of an independent grind. Uh, I would be doing it for fun and for joy and for the love of performing and that I would never actually get paid to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> so, 
yeah, it's, it's quite a different, um, result than what I anticipated. I, I can't even yeah. imagine what that would be like. I mean, to just, to be on a show like that. And, and of course, Rutherford Falls, um, didn't get renewed for a third season, but I want to ask you, I mean, just professionally, creatively, personally, Jana, did, did you learn a lot from that experience? And do you think it's going to guide your work moving forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a very foundational experience for me. I mean, I, and I learned from the best, you know, I learned from Sierra who has been a writer for over 15 years, you know, in television. And, um, she have, has really been, um, you know, a pretty profound mentor to me in terms of knowing how to conduct myself as a writer and a creator in this, um, in this space. And of course, learning how to, uh, be a comedic performer on TV from Ed Helms, um, one of the greats, <laughs> Absolutely. um, and, you know, sort of adopting Ed as an ally and a friend and, you know, uh, it was huge. And of course, Mike Shure, who created, um, the good place and parks and rec and to see, to work with these, this level of um, just exceptional talent and and also generosity of of skill and um, teaching. You know, I, I don't think that a lot of um, people get into this industry to be teachers to like pass along their knowledge to younger people. Um, I, I don't. I didn't sense that that is sort of like the. <laughs> A, a driving force behind <laughs> people's creative work here. But I feel like our room, our writer's room and our, you know, our, our cast and crew was really um, unique in that way that they knew that we knew the responsibility that we were holding as native um, people in, in comedy and in television, that this was a big deal and they handled it with such care and they helped us, um, sort of bring these stories to life in an exceptional way that it's it's been unforgettable and I, I am so sad that we didn't get renewed for um, a third season but in many ways this show set each individual writer and performer um, and producer up to continue um, a career as a native creative in the field of television mm -hmm. forever. Now, I did read some some interviews with uh, Sierra early on, and, and she mentioned there is a possibility perhaps another network might pick up other falls. Do you think that's a possibility? I don't think it's a possibility any longer. You know, I they, uh, you know, took the show out and uh, tried to get it picked up. But um, yeah, I think that uh, other networks, it's, it's sort of hard to acquire a show that already has um, a platform and a, and a place. Um, it's a big challenge to do that. So um, I think that, you know, we sort of collectively need to like say goodbye to Rutherford Falls and <laughs> let, let it live as a sort of this cult classic, you know, that had a go. two season run and it launched the careers of uh, several incredible people. And you know, it's so cool. Like when you look back on television, some of the most popular shows like in syndication and the ones, some of the shows that have the best legacies only go like two seasons. They don't go 100%. like a really long time. So yeah, good things yeah. to come for sure. Uh, 
Jen, I'm curious because you, you mentioned Ed Helms and you know he's such a brilliant comedic actor and, and you're so compelling on screen. I'm always curious, people that are just really, really humorous. And, and where does that come from? Do you think you're you're born that way or is it a personality trait that that evolves as you get older? I think it's it evolves. I, I genuinely, I firmly believe in the power of practice. Um, I was, I think I was born with the innate desire to perform. And that took on many forms as a young person. You know, I was like a singer and I loved choir and I, you know, I, I was into doing musicals in high school and, you know, I was also an athlete, you know, go in school that, that is in a way a performance. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that there are, there are, you know, interests and passions that we grow up with, um, that we sort of are, are born with. But in terms of the skill level, I genuinely believe that um, my ability to, um, you know, perform at the level of Ed Helms is has to do with all of the years in New York City and in Los Angeles that I put in becoming a better live performer and cultivating my comedic voice um, and writing for myself and learning what what audiences respond to um, when I perform them, uh, perform for them. And and I think that that's true for Ed as well. You know, he has a very similar, you know, New York City uh, stand up comedy, sketch comedy, improv comedy background. Um, and has you know gotten better over time and and to to think that a person like ed helms in doing a show like rutherford falls is still learning like his mm -hmm. learning curve is is still evolving he's never done a show with native people and and you know played sort of like the uh Jen, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take oh. a break. Yeah, but I want to hear more about Ed Helms here after our break. Uh, folks, give us a call if you want to talk with Janice Meeting. We'll be right back. Members of what we know today as the Lumbee Nation made their mark 65 years ago by driving out Ku Klux Klan members organizing a rally in their county. We'll revisit the Battle of Hayes Pond and how it continues to be a source of pride for the North Carolina tribe. That's on the next Native America Calling. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Janice Meeting today. She's a Lakota writer, actor, and a podcast host. She's known for her work on Rutherford Falls, Reservation Dogs, and her podcast, Women of Size. If you want to give Jen a shout out or ask a question, she says she's an open book, as open as an urban IHS clinic at nine o'clock on a Friday evening. 
Nah, just kidding. She's really open, so give her a call. 1-800-996-2848. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. We have some Instagram posts here. Uh, here's one person, TV Wonder. Absolutely loved Jana in both Reservation Dogs and Rutherford Falls. Two completely different characters, played to perfection. Looking forward to seeing you play so many more. And we have another... Uh, poster who says, my husband and I loved Rutherford Falls. It was our comfort show for a few weeks while we binged all of it. We miss it so much. So, Jana, you got a lot of friends out there in Native America and beyond. I want to ask you, uh, the characters that you play, are, 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 are you like that in real life at all? Are you kind of naive sometimes like Reagan or, or kind of a smart aleck like Bev? Any of that come through? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, when the playing a character is you're pulling you know part of the self out and sort of amplifying that part so there's definitely a very sort of insecure uh sweaty Regan inside of me <laughs> <laughs> and uh and yeah there's also a very you know sassy uh horny Bev um you know very much very much so. And I, and, you know, some, a lot of my early work doing live comedy was doing very weird characters. So I really enjoy um, trying new characters on and, and make them, making them my own. Well, there you go, folks. Janice Meeting, she's uh, has similarities with some of her classic characters from television. Janice, let's go to the phones. We have Justin. He's listening in Newtown, North Dakota on station KMHA. Justin, you're on the air. Hey, good afternoon or good morning for, uh, wherever you're at. Uh, <clears throat> good afternoon, Sean and Janet. I just want to acknowledge and congratulate you on your successes in making it to Los Angeles. And my question was, what is your message to the world of people of all ages who want to take that next step or take that first step into a direction towards their, toward their goal or a different goal? or a different aspect, or a different field of work. Justin, thanks for calling in. Jana, feel free to respond. Uh, your message to the world. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I have too many messages to the world. Um, uh, well, thank you so much, Justin. That is such a kind message. And um, I really believe in the power. I, I said this before, but I really believe in the power of practice. And I think that, um, you know, if, if, if someone has a goal, um, and I'm very used to setting creative goals for myself, but also, you know, career goals and personal goals. Um, I, I believe that the way to bring sort of that energy into our lives or to move toward that goal is to sort of embody the world in which we want to live. If, if, if writing, if you want to be a writer, um, you know, you should be spending a lot of time writing. If you want to be a director, you should be trying, you know, asking your friends to come and do projects with you and you direct them with your, you know, iPhone. And there's just so many ways. I believe, I believe that we should be practicing our creative, um, our creative loves at all times. And especially as native people, we should be surrounded by the joy of our creative passions. That is something that is free. It's free to us. Um, and collaborating with other people. I think collaboration is not only um, a, a pleasure, um, but we learn from each other. It's the way that young 
children learn how to learn language is by playing with each other. And as adults, we sort of lose that, um, that play, that daily play that children get. But I think to reinfuse our lives with that sense of play, um, we will learn new languages. We will learn the language of our craft. We will learn the language of our passion. And um, so, yeah, practicing and collaborating. Right on. I love that answer, Jana. Let's take another call. Madeline listening in Tahona Autumn, Arizona on station KOHN. Madeline, you're on Native America Calling. Hi, I just had a question. Um, what would be your advice for young Indigenous creatives? Jana, advice for young Indigenous creatives. Uh, well, I, I sort of just went into it, but... Um, I have endless advice for young creatives. Um, I, I guess something that I didn't get to say in the previous answer is um, getting to know uh, the field of your creatives and, and getting to know how to exercise your voice. I w have been a comedy person my entire adulthood. And I've done that in many different ways. So I tried live performing. I tried stand-up. I tried improv. I tried sketch comedy. I've tried theater, dramatic theater. Um, I tried podcasting. Now I've tried. Now I'm trying TV. I want to try film. You know, all of these different things. There's so many different avenues within our creative passions that we can try. And I really believe that we should uh, explore them all. And we should publicize our work. I, I genuinely believe that. Uh, like when I created a podcast, I was able to cultivate a community of other people in the podcasting world, in the comedy world, and um, and around the justice issue that I was talking about on my podcast. So it helped me have a community of other like-minded people to collaborate with continuously in LA. So yeah, publicizing our work and being unafraid of letting people see it um, at whatever phase of, um, you know, progress it's in um that's my advice show people your work and 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 be excited about it awesome we've got a third caller on the line the phones are heating up uh betta listening in gallup new mexico on station kglp betta you're on the air with janish meeting hello miss janice how are you doing today hi thank you for calling I am, first of all, going to tell you, thank you for your giving the advice that you've given, because I think it can help everybody. We get kind of scared, but you said go after it, even if you're scared. Um, and uh, what I want to know, has Hollywood or has Broadway or any other social media stopped having um, people play indigenous people? Are they really getting real indigenous people from different areas of the country? Yes, I think that we are now. Um, for a long time, we've sort of been struggling um, as, as recording a viewer, in progress. Um, as a viewer of uh, media, I think that we didn't have for a long time. Uh, sort of executive producers, people at the top that are actually indigenous, who are doing the hiring and the writing and the story, the crafting of the stories that we're telling. And now that we have um, people with access to these upper level positions in Hollywood, we are seeing a change in the tide. We're seeing more uh, indigenous 
um, writers coming forward. We're seeing um, performers who are actual, um, actually native, you know, being hired. We, we are, we are working with native casting directors. You know, these are, it takes, we sort of um, needed to rise together. And um, that's, that is what is happening now. But I agree with you for a long time, we've, we haven't seen that. And it's been very frustrating. And we're still going to have to go through a lot of, you know, sort through a lot of those issues, those identity issues, and sort of those race shifting issues in our industries, um, in all industries. Um, so uh, that is sort of the work of this, uh, you know, um, first and, and second <laughs> uh cohort of people coming into this industry is doing a lot of the work, preparing the industry for um, having to really authenticate our talent um, and, and screen for real identity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And you, and you see that happening more and more. And Jen, I'm also curious, like, you know, you, you have so many different creative inspirations. You mentioned the podcast and you do the stand up and you've done some some stage work as well and and I'm just curious like what would be your dream project like if I mean, I mean like if money wasn't an object and you had no limitations to your budget you could hire any any talent in the world that you wanted complete creative uh, production control like everything you could just do everything you ever possibly want to do in some sort of entertainment or creative venue what what would you do um, I would create a, um, I would create a, a, a movie, a feature film that was a musical that is adapting, um, Fleetwood Mac music <laughs> at, into powwow music and. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it would be a, a love story about, uh, aunties moving in with each other, becoming golden girls. Um, did you expect that I would have such a clear answer to that, Sean? I <laughs> have been thinking about this my entire life. <laughs> well, tell me more about the Fleetwood Mac connection. Are you like a big Stevie Nicks fan? And Big Stevie Nicks fan. I love her voice. I think uh, just the vibe of Fleetwood Mac, it's like, it, it has like all of the things that I want in music, which is it's kind of mellow it's road trip music. It's like on the road music and a fem uh, like strong female vocals. It's my yeah. bread and butter. That song landslide is like one of my all time favorite songs ever. Absolutely. Uh, it's just like heartbreaking. And I believe landslide is a song about an actual landslide that she saw on a skiing trip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, the no. power. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, we'll be, would love to see that happen. I think that could happen. What you're describing. I think it could happen. I'm totally going to make happen. it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Anti-Golden Girls. Heck wow. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I saw your interview with Seth Rogen last year. That was super cool too. And um, that beaded ball cap you gave him. Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Oh, Seth still Myers. Wearing? Seth Myers. I was I'm like, sorry, wait, did Seth I meet Rogan. Seth Rogen? How, Seth Rogen. How did I forget that? <laughs> Seth Myers. I'm Seth sorry. Rogen, Seth if you're Myers. listening, I do want to meet you. Um, there we go. Yeah, Seth. I got to go on uh, the the Late Show with Seth Myers. That was 
truly wild. Um, and I beaded him a cap, you know, Mike Shore, who is one of the executive producers of Rutherford Falls, is good friends with Seth Meyers. They wrote on Saturday Night Live together. And I asked Mike, who is, you know, Seth's team? Um, and he said, Boston. So I beaded him a little hat. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's the first beaded hat that has ever been on a late. <laughs> Here I am trying to get my first, first beaded hat on a late show. Yeah, baby. Uh, but yeah, it was so much fun. And I got to, you know, go to Rockefeller Center where I, I never thought I would step foot in Rockefeller Center. So it's crazy. Well, folks, if uh, you have a question for Janice Schmeeding, what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. Jen, I want to talk about your, your stand-up as well, and I've seen some of your, your YouTube videos uh, where you, you're on the mic. And, I mean, that's another thing that I just have so much admiration for because I can't imagine just getting up there, you know, just you on a stage, and people, if you're not funny, I mean, I've been to comedy clubs and people will let you know really fast if they don't like your <laughs> act, you know, like, so like, um, you know, when did, when did you just first start doing stand up, and, and what inspired you in that? You know, I didn't do stand up until later in my comedy career because I was terrified of <laughs> being <laughs> just absolutely booed off of uh, stage stand-up is really hard it's a very hard comedy skill and I like you know I really give props to um, some of the stand-up you know native stand-ups that uh, that I admire like it's a challenging job because you have to uh, write jokes in your voice for yourself and you have to rehearse them live so you have to sort of go to open mics and practice them and see what hits with an audience and what doesn't. Um, and, you know, slowly over time, create a, a, you know, a six minute set, a 10 minute set, a 30 minute set. Um, I, I think being good at standup comes for me, at least it has come after a long time of getting to know what is funny to me through collaborating with other people. Um, my comedy is very physical, very self-deprecating. Um, you know, I also like to make fun of, um, you know, bigger injustices um, and sort of call out their ridiculousness. And once I knew that about my comedy, once I knew that about my writing, I, I was much more comfortable sitting down and sort of writing jokes um, for myself. I still don't do uh, stand up with any regularity um, because it's very intimidating and I'm working on sort of other projects right now. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, an incredible skill. And if anybody is interested in, in comedy, you have to sort of put yourself through the stand-up ringer like you have to try it's like a rite of passage for comedians <laughs> you know you you can't just like do improv or hang back and 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 you know do group comedy for your entire life you have to throw yourself to the wolves and just get out there by yourself and and fail and fail and fail <laughs> oh, it's good learning <laughs> Well, not for the for the weak at heart for sure to get up there. And I I understand it's like really time intensive because like like you mentioned like to do a thirty minute bit, but you have to have a ton of material 
to to go up yeah. on stage for 30 minutes, right? Like you have to have hours worth of content, don't you? Yeah, you know, I've been invited this last these last couple of years, there's been a couple of um, you know, uh, organization native organizations and and you know, museums and stuff who have reached out to me and said like, "Hey, can you come do an hour of stand up for us?" or like, "Our tribe <laughs> would like to pay you to come and do, you know, 90 minutes of comedy." And I'm like, "90 minutes?" <laughs> okay does your does your tribe have a million dollars because that is so much material it is so it, six minutes on stage by yourself feels like feels like two hours and especially if you're not being funny like it's it's horrible <laughs> mm. <laughs> um so yeah it is a very time consuming and you just kind of have to be really good you know you have to be really good at it and you have to be confident enough to to fail a lot in order to get good yeah sounds like a tough road i'll tell you i'll tell you i'm not yeah. getting up anytime soon i'll tell you that much not for <laughs> Come on, me that's for sure that's for sure <laughs> Well, we're having a great time talking with Janice meeting today on Native America Calling, learning all about her background, learning about her, her creative dreams and her experiences. And anybody who's listening who has a question, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We have Jana on the show, and she's taking your calls. So what are you waiting for? 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with teacher turned comedian, writer, and actor, Janice Meeting today, and still plenty of time to talk to Jana. Call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Also, you can watch us live on the Native America Calling Facebook page, NAC Twitter, Native Voice One YouTube, Native Voice One Facebook, and Kiwanik LinkedIn. We are streaming live today, video version of the show, so check that out if you have access. And Jenna, talking more about your comedy and just, you know, we talked earlier about like senses of humor and where that comes from, and it seems like you do a really good job of striking that balance between like native humor and, and stuff that's also going to be funny to non-natives because that seems really challenging because if you get too far into like a native humor thing you're going to alienate like non-native like what, what, what's the joke i don't get it you know but yeah you want to keep it authentic right how do you how do you walk that line well, I think it's just a matter of my exposure. So I I grew up in a native family and in a native community. So I understand the humor that we have and its differences. But my um, the majority of my you know theater training and my acting training and my comedy training has been done in largely white spaces in in largely mainstream comedy spaces. You know and 
I was raised on the same movies that every, you know, we all were, um, you know, coming up in the, in a time when I was really into Saturday night live, which when I was, you know, super into SNL, it, uh, it was a lot of white people, you know? And, and so I, I learned sort of the pop culture comedy zeitgeist early on. I think we all, I think all native people did. Um, because that's what we had access to. Um, and uh, and I think that I am, I'm not an expert on merging those two worlds, but uh, you know, when you get together in a writer's room and you have people from different tribal nations, you know, our Rutherford writers, and um, I also, you know, I'm not a writer on Res, Res Dogs, but I know all of the writers on Res Dogs and it's just a, a group of collaborative people from all different um, tribal nations and and backgrounds and experiences. And when you get together on a project like that, you're coming up with, you know, jokes from, you know, our our Indian country past, as well as, you know, jokes from our own experiences. Um, <laughs> and that's really where you, that's where the balance is struck. You know, if I were left alone, to write my own comedy, it would probably reflect more of my actual comedy, you know, stylings. Um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily, I don't know, it wouldn't necessarily be for both audiences because when I was training to be a comedian, when I was learning how to be a comedian, I didn't trust that my audiences knew anything about native people. So I wasn't speaking to my native experience very much in my early comedy. I was, I was, uh, I didn't trust my audience to have the literacy that is necessary to laugh at the jokes. Um, so as a performer, it's, it's sort of up to the performer to take care of your audience. You know, you want to, you want your audience to feel comfortable. You want your audience to feel let in on the joke. But I think that that's sort of why Rutherford Falls and Res Dogs and the, all of the content that is coming out that is created by Native people is so crucial right now because while we are bringing our comedy to a mainstream space, we are also developing the literacy of wider audiences around Native people and Native humor. Um, it's a necessary groundwork that we can have, that we, that we need for uh, our work to continue to grow and become more nuanced and for wider audiences to understand us. Hmm. Well, you mentioned Saturday Night Live and uh, that's really cool because watching one of your, your comedy videos on YouTube, there were a bunch of people in the comments saying, she needs to host Saturday Night Live. Janice Meeting should be a Saturday Night Live host and all this stuff. And <laughs> let me ask you this. I mean, do you have like a perfect uh, SNL skit if you could? Oh, I have 50 perfect SNL skits. <laughs> I have 50. <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to host SNL. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, you know, from your lips to creator's ears, Sean, and that creator is Lorne Michaels. So Lorne Michaels, if you're listening, I want to be on your show. <laughs> there we go. And a lot of cast members have left. So, hey, there might be an opportunity there. Jenna, yeah. let's go back to the phones. We've got Sarah. She's listening online in Seattle, Washington. Sarah, what do you want to say to Janish Meeting? Well, see, hi, Jenna. I love you so much. 
I've been following your work for a minute. Hi. I would love, love, love to meet you someday. I know uh, the creative team from Reservation Dogs, and I can only imagine what that experience has been like. But uh, can you speak just a little bit to that, what what that was like, uh, being on that particular particular set and working with that creative team? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, I can't say enough good things about, uh, the creative team. I mean, they are all my friends. So, uh, it was really wonderful to be able to make, uh, comedy with my friends. Um, and I'll speak especially to, um, you know, the aunties episode it's titled wide net, uh, written and directed by my friend Tazba Chavez. Um, I just really felt like that that episode in particular was so fun to make because we got to sort of um, get in touch with our our you know our child selves, our inner children, our inner girls. Um, we you know we got to practice a, and a choreographed dance number, which was so fun, and we had to rehearse it and, and we had to perform it for the crew, you know. Um, and we got, it was an opportunity for the makeup and hair team um, to really shine in that episode too, you know, when they go into sort of the music video, the fantastical music video, you know, everybody got to flex on that episode, uh, directorially, the writing, us as, as Native women, as performers, you know, you very rarely get the opportunity to just do to utilize all of your skills as a performer. And in that episode, we have Tamara Padamski, who was on Broadway. She was a Maureen in the Broadway production of Rent in the 90s. Um, she's an incredible performer and vocalist. Um, you know, Sarah Padamski, an incredible actor. Um, Natalie, who is a, an incredible comedic performer, and she um, gave us all tattoos. We, it was like a, a really huge celebration of sisterhood that that week and a half that we were um, rehearsing for and and creating that episode. And um, it was sort of like our own little girl's world. And, you know, we would let some of the, some of the dudes in sometimes <laughs> to, just to laugh at us. Um, but, but yeah, like it, it was incredible an incredible experience and yeah, making that show is just, it's so much fun. Well, I read in an article that uh, originally the directors, they wanted you to play that character like really deadpan and you tried a few takes like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that that was that's like, you know, Sterling's understanding he, what he wants from Bev is just to be completely deadpan. And it was hard for me because I'm I am like a emotive performer, you know, and I use my facial expressions a lot. If, if you sort of see Regan on Rutherford Falls and compare her to Bev, I really had to like free, like tone it down and freeze my face because uh, I tend to use my face a lot in my comedy. So it wasn't a genuine acting challenge to play a, a stoic and hard Bev. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. We have Molina listening on Keeley in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Oh. Molina, hello. <laughs> hey, girl. Hi, hey, Jenna. <laughs> I take it you two I know each other. Um, <laughs> Molina, I'm wearing her cuff right now, her beaded cuff. <laughs> What's going on? Well, I love you. Girl, I love you. <laughs> so my question is, 
if you were to write a spinoff about any side character, who would you pick and why? Um, on which show or does it matter? Any show. Oh boy. Um, you know, oh gosh, that is such a hard one. I'll say this. Uh, I'd pick Jackie so that I could be in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, like, uh, I love the idea of, of creating so many different spinoffs from, from Res Dogs. Um, uh, every character could have their own show on that show. You know, it's like just a very character rich show. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I, I mean, if I could create a spinoff for Bev, I would, I don't know how exciting it would be. I mean, we could make it exciting. Let's do it. You and me, Melina, let's make a Bev spinoff. <laughs> Just aunties taking over the world, baby. <laughs> I'm done. Wait, who would you, who would you do a spinoff of? I don't know. I love Bev. Auntie Bev is my favorite. I, you know, I have to agree with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever you know it's worth, I... I vote on the Auntie Bev spinoff myself. All right, John, <laughs> we got three for Bev spinoff. But, you know, another great spinoff would be Dear Woman. Because um, it could be, you know, sort yeah. of a, a super, a superhero, a, a, a magical, fantastical, uh, travel. you know, yeah, I just, I, I like how Dear Woman sort of like pops in and, and pops out and she's terrifying, but also magical. It's it's lovely. Yeah, mm. for sure. Melina, thank you for calling in. And Jenna, let's talk a little bit about your upbringing. I know you grew up uh, in Canby, Oregon, south of Portland. Do you get back home much? I do. I do. I, uh, I my family now lives in Eugene um, and that's also where I grew up. Um, my grandparents um, grew up down in Klamath and uh, sort of uh, were um, pillars of the native community uh, in Oregon. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up in, I grew up going to school in a small town, Canby, and, um, and then also, you know, on the weekends and on on in summers, I would spend uh, the summer with our grandparents and you know hit the power trail and um, I had all these native uh, friends that we would kick it and it was a lovely you know childhood. I really love Oregon. I have a lot of um, just a lot of appreciation and love for the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I visit a lot and I, and I, yeah, I, I was raised by incredible people. All of, you know, my, my parents are both educators. My grandparents are educators. My, my grandmother who just turned 85, shout out Twyla. Um, she was a, um, she, uh, got her PhD as a grandma at the University of Oregon. And her thesis was in uh, early childhood education, indigenous women pursuing early childhood education. And um, so I was really raised with a foundation 
um, a, a strong foundation and love for educators and education and learning. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of that. And you also went to the University of Oregon. I sure did go ducks. <laughs> I was a proud uh, member of the of NASU, the Native American Student Union, and I was also a co-director and organizer with the Multicultural Center, which was an umbrella organization that worked with all of the different ethnic cultural student unions on campus and organized events and uh, in an effort to sort of work toward better um, recruitment and retention of students of color at the university. I just can't help but thinking, you, know, you were in school in, in Oregon and then you moved to, to New York and for 10 years you were a, a teacher in middle schools and high schools and Jenna I just think there's got to be some former students that just watch you on television now and they're like oh my gosh that's Miss Schmeeting she was my teacher in eighth grade or ninth grade <laughs> <Yeah. know? laughs> that's just like so tripped out but it, do, do any do any of them ever reach out or do you ever hear from people like that and that see you on, on, on television and and want to make that not connection? Not a lot, not a lot. Um, I, I think my students are, you know, well into their adulthood <laughs> now. Um, yeah, I, I bet they're just, if they see me on TV, they're like, oh man, remember her? She was mean. <laughs> <laughs> she was anti-Bev. That's what, she, yeah. she was mean. Um, yeah, I was a pretty, I was a pretty strict teacher. You know, I had, a, I had to, you know, really manage my classroom well, but um did you have a lot yeah, of native I, students almost none no and i actually i think i only had you know i can count on one hand how many white students i had i i taught in um in areas of the bronx where it was um largely first and second generation um students from you know the caribbean and uh uh you know a lot of students um Puerto Rican students and students, you know, young people from the Dominican Republic and, um, you know, large population of black students. And it was a very diverse um, group of uh, my, my student body was always just like so uniquely diverse and wonderful. And um, it was a it was a really, really impactful experience. Um, you know, teaching for that many years. And I also lived in the Bronx. I, I moved to the Bronx and sort of just like wanted to be a part of the community I was teaching in. And I really believe that that is an important part of um, my teaching experiences was also, you know, living in the Bronx, living in the place that I was working and understanding the, um, you know, socioeconomic conditions that my students were coming from. And, um, and yeah, and it was also the hardest work that I've ever done in my life. Mm. This job that I'm doing now, you know, making jokes on TV and writing, it, <laughs> it pales in comparison to the challenges <laughs> that I went through as a teacher, truly. <laughs> Jenna, I'm so sorry we're out of time. It just like flew by the hour, but I, I wanna thank you so much for joining us and I just appreciate your time. And I'm happy for you, Jenna, I really am. All of your success and, and please just keep inspiring all of us in Native America and everywhere else as well. Okay, thank you again for joining us. And uh, thank you. You bet. Folks, uh, please join us again tomorrow for a discussion about a pivotal confrontation 65 years ago between members of the Lumbee tribe and the Ku Klux Klan. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We'll talk again soon. 
Looking for opportunities to expand, improve, and share your artistic talents? The Crazy Horse Memorial has programs for indigenous artists, culture bearers, and educators of North America, including funding, an artist residency, a speaker series, performance opportunities, and more. The Crazy Horse Memorial Foundation mission is to protect and preserve the cultures, traditions, and living heritages of North American Indians. Application deadline is January 31st at crazyhorsememorial.org, who support this show. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.